the scripture po- appointed for this morning that our pastor is going to lead from comes from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, preceding this, we find the first Christian sermon. You know, Jesus was the Christ himself, and so when he spoke, it was the message of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when Peter stood on Pentecost that first day of the church and spoke the words of the Son, this was the first Christian sermon, and you see that there's a huge result to this that is hinged on a question asked. Pastor Keith is going to direct us to that in just a few moments. Let me read Uh, In context, the words, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. May we pray. Almighty God, this morning you have called us away from home. You know, this morning on this great fall day, you called Pastor Keith to arise and prepare to meet this congregation with your gospel. On this beautiful fall morning, Lord, you called the praise team and woke them up and said, get to the house, my house, so that you might lead the singing and call with praises and songs the people to worship. This morning, Lord, on this beautiful fall morning, we all arose, coming seeking blessing and instruction. We ask, O oh God, that you might prevail in that today. Lord God, so many things happens, even though outside we see a beautiful fall day. There, of course, as we know, our many messes and brokenness in our lives. This morning, Lord, we pray for those in our congregation who have been hospitalized over the last week or so, specifically remembering Clarice Hines and Artie Moline and Marge Ferris and Loretta Miller. We also remember Jeannie Johnson, Lord, who's been hospitalized. And we pray, Lord, that your hand might be upon them because sometimes, Lord, we say, what a fine day it is, and yet... In the fine day, there are those who are broken. The clouds overcome them, and we need, Lord. We beseech you that your spirit might come upon them. We ask your blessing on all of those, Lord. And I give thanks first for a congregation that's so generous and loving and and, and able to, to give blessings to others. And, Lord, we ask, oh God, that one of those blessings we might give is the calling of your name to them. The calling of your name, the modeling of that life, and the following of your Holy Spirit with our very lives so that others might come to know you, Lord. We ask these things today, Lord, without apology, knowing that your word, your spirit is upon us. And we pray them in the strong name of Jesus. Who, when asked, how should we pray, Lord, said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. 
Great to be here with you guys today. Isn't it awesome to be able to, to have praise and worship with a song that's just for our church? You know, and, and uh, all, all about our mission. But here's the thing, you know, let me just prophesy over young Simon right now. This song will be for other churches eventually, right? Because the mission of our church, really, we, our church, and I, I don't, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but our church isn't special, okay? The mission of the church isn't just about First United Methodist Church. This is the mission of, of the Church of Jesus Christ, of which we are a part. So anything that's said about the church here at FUMC could be said about the greater church as well. The mission of the church, if you've been hanging around with us for a while, we're in the middle of this sermon series all around and through our mission of what we're about. So we're going to say it together. Are we ready? Participation. The mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. You guys have done that better than any other service yet this morning. (laughs) My, My directions were probably a little more direct at this service. I just said it before and then was like, hey, why didn't you say it? We didn't know. So... This is what we're talking about. And a, and a couple weeks ago, we talked about what exactly is, is church, right? Now, do you remember that conversation? If some of you were missing, it was pretty, pretty important, but I'll tell you basically what it is. We talked about how the church is not a physical location or a building, but rather a church is the gathering together of the people of God under, under the foundational belief of who Jesus Christ is, that he is the son of the living God. So we've had this little experiment. I challenged our staff at our last staff meeting on Monday with this experiment or this, this idea to stop referring to this building as the church. Because it's hard not to do that, isn't it? Because we all tend to think of, hey, I'm going to the church. We think of this building. So we're over at the other building, and you know we've got three, soon to be two. And we're sitting there, and I say, okay, so no longer now do you say, hey, meet me over at the church. It's meet me over at, at that other building. We haven't given it a real good name, I guess, yet. That's right. The building where we have worship with everybody together. That's what we refer to it. And then about 20 minutes later, I told somebody to meet me over at the church. It's hard. I know. I get it. But, but it's something that we have to work and train our minds toward because if we want to unlearn something, it's, it's, it's important that we begin to speak that way. So that's the mission of the church, to make disciples. But let's today, and Pastor Mike talked about last week, that, that that's an intentional process. You don't make a disciple by accident. It's something that you set out to do. But what exactly is a disciple. I think if we're going to make a disciple, just like if you were going to make an apple pie, you have to first know what one is, right? So we're going to talk this morning a little bit about what exactly a disciple is, because I think that's sort of a cloudy word when it comes to church, doesn't, isn't it? If you, if you talk to somebody about what is a disciple, you'll get different answers. Some people think that a disciple was one of the 12 guys that hung around with Jesus, and that would be true. Some people think that disciple is the class that you take on one o'clock in the afternoon on Sundays at the church or another time, or, or it's a person who was brought up in America or who, whose parents go to church or whatever. But let's just look at what this word actually means. The, the Greek word mathetes is the word from which we get our English word disciple. And you can see the little Greek up top there next to the site. It looks kind of cool, you know. Um, maybe we should get tattoos or something like that. That's kind of the thing to do, right? You know. But the word literally means this. That'd be a good ministry. Uh, learner, student, or adherent of a teaching. Okay? So someone who's a learner, a student, adhering of a teaching. Not necessarily religious. Right? Could be a disciple of, you know, uh, whoever you want. I mean, in the early traditions of the church, though, the, the, the culture 
had this understanding of disciple with relationship to their teacher, and the, the teacher was called the rabbi. So you have a disciple and you have a rabbi. But, you know, I don't want to give you the impression that anybody that you learn from is necessarily, you know, you're their disciple. To be a disciple of Jesus or of any other rabbi was a pretty significant thing. I mean, to be a disciple meant that you left your life to follow your rabbi and your teacher. So for us today, when we look into the word disciple, we have to recognize that what we're called to make are not just simply people who, you know, know a little bit about Jesus or are Americans, so they think they're, you know, a Christian or whatever, this or that. We're, we're called to make people who have something very, very unique and special about them. And, and if we look at, at how a person becomes a disciple, you know, we see something in the Bible that's, that's really unique. I mean, Jesus, when he called his first disciples... He, he walked up to them. He didn't say, hey, would you like to join a program? You know, or would you like to come to a meeting once in a while? Or would you like to learn a few things? He came to them and he said, follow me. And they dropped their nets or they left their tax collecting tables or whatever it was. And they changed everything about their life. So for the early disciples, to be a disciple of Jesus, it cost you something pretty significant. It wasn't just sort of a hobby. It was a very, very big deal. And certainly for those of us who seek to become disciples today, we need to view it as such. But how does a person become a disciple? Is it something that you're born into? Is it something cultural, like your nationality? Or is it something that you sign up and join? Or did you become a disciple when you were baptized? I think we have to answer these questions. See, the truth is, when you look at what Jesus called his disciples to do... And then you look at the passage that Pastor Mike read a minute ago, you see something unique happens in that moment. And I'm going to refer to that as conversion. Okay? Conversion is the moment when a person moves from not being a disciple to being a disciple. Conversion is the, is, is the moment in time where you go from lack of faith to faith, from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light. And it's a big deal. Peter gets up and preaches this sermon in front of thousands of people on, on Pentecost. And this was a hostile crowd. This was not a, a Christian of rally gathered together to hear the Apostle Peter give a nice message. This was a, a crowd who, who Peter stands up and begins to preach this sermon. And, and he doesn't do three little points in a poem or an article from a newspaper. He basically says, you guys are all murderers. You killed the Messiah. How's that for an opening illustration? Hey, remember that Jesus guy? Yeah, you guys killed him. That was nice, right? He, he, he shows them the, how they've been given the law and the prophets and all of this stuff leading up to the Messiah and, and, and who Jesus is. And, and then he tells them, you are the ones that put him to death. And they looked at Peter and they asked this question, what must we do? What must we do? And he says, Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let your sins be forgiven. He says, be converted, essentially. And here's the cool thing. About 3,000 of them were in that moment. What's your conversion story like if you're a disciple? Do you have one? Or have you fallen into this weird understanding of being a disciple as though it's something that you just always were? You see, a disciple is a person who, who has at the root understanding of who they are a belief in the gospel. A disciple believes the gospel. 
And the gospel message is not a message of, well, if you're born into a Christian home and your parents raise you in Sunday school, then you're a Christian. Then you're a disciple. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, hey, if you do nice things and are are, are a good moral person and follow the golden rule, then you're a disciple. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not, well, if you give generously and and walk your, your, your elderly neighbor across the street, then you're a disciple. That's not the gospel. You see, all of those other things have to do with with what you would do to save yourself. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ has saved you by his death and burial and resurrection. That's the gospel. That it's what Jesus has done and is doing in you. Not what do you have to do. You see, we have to respond to what God has done. But the work of our salvation was done by Jesus Christ on the cross. It was not done by you or I in a class or by our parents when we were baptized or by a minister when he signed his name on our membership certificate. A disciple believes the gospel. A disciple understands the gospel. You know, a few years ago in this church I was a part of, we, we had, you know, we have people that come through the church here and there and they, they stop in. Well, this guy stopped in and we were in a potluck or something and these, two, these three guys came in and sat down and we went and talked to them. They, they were dressed a little bit differently and we just knew they were just a little odd, Okay. And we said, well, what's going on? He says, oh, my name's so-and-so, and these are my disciples. Yeah. He, had, he was a rabbi. He identified himself as a rabbi, and he had his disciples, and these guys had left their families, and they were traveling, you know, around wherever they were going. I guess they were doing the potluck circuit and whatever and sampling the meatloaf everywhere they went. But they were, he's, I'm their teacher. I'm teaching them the ways of the Lord, and they're my disciples. They do what I do. They go where I go. They talk like I talk. They're, they're just like me. Now, Clearly, that's an understanding of discipleship that I don't know that a lot of us have. But when it comes to following Jesus, maybe we should. Maybe we should think about what it would look like to change our life because we believe the gospel. You see, a disciple also experiences life change. If, if you, in your life and in your conversion, haven't changed, then, then, then I'm not so sure you've had a conversion experience. Now, I know a lot of us go, okay, I've heard testimonies about conversion experiences from like guys who were, you know, involved in horrible things. I, I once heard a conversion story by a missionary that I was with who was a former IRA terrorist, like Irish Republican Army. I mean, he was one of those guys. And he'd like made bombs and stuff. And, and God literally woke him up and spoke to him. And now he's an evangelist all across Europe. He's an unbelievable guy. He's got a pretty powerful conversion experience. You know, and of course, we've heard plenty from others, maybe through camp or different places, of people who've had you know, life-changing experiences where they've gone from just being these horrible people to then this conversion, and now they've got Christ. You go, well, okay, that's easy to spot. You know, their life really changed. But what about some of us who maybe don't have a story like that, right? Do you have a story like that? Can you, can, or, do, or do you feel like your testimony is, or your conversion experience is just kind of plain, right? Or maybe you're like, I don't even know what I would say if somebody asked me, how I became a Christian. You know, let me, let me tell you something. I, I kind of have a story like that. I, I, I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. So I always knew who Jesus was, all that kind of stuff. Just kind of accepted that, right? You know, or just believed it or whatever. But it wasn't until I was probably 11 or 12 years old, something like that, where I was sitting on a really hard wooden chair at a church camp called Summer Games in Indianola, Iowa, at a camp called Wesley Woods, and this little bald man named Stan Wearson was banging on this piano. And he, he gave out this call, this message, and he said, If you died tonight, do you know where you would go? And then he began to explain the gospel, and he began to talk about 
who Jesus is and how for each of us we have to make a personal decision to become a disciple and follow God. And then he gave this invitation because we were all like, what do we do? He gave this invitation and he said, if you want to become a Christian, then get out of your seat and come down here and I'm going to say a prayer with you and you pray this prayer. And I remember at that moment in time feeling like, okay, I've heard about this stuff my whole life, never quite like that. But I needed an experience where I stood up publicly and said, yeah, that's going to be for me. And I remember coming down and and praying that prayer and and something just changed in my heart that day. And I I began to, at that moment, really understand that I was a Christian. Not because my parents raised me in a church, praise God, but because I made a choice to follow God. You see, there's a lot of people who've never made that choice, but yet they mistakenly call themselves Christians or they call themselves disciples. And maybe if some of you in this room are in that camp, I want you to listen to me. Unless you've made a a decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, do not consider yourself a Christian or a disciple. But you might say, but I'm a nice person. I do good things. The gospel is not do good things. The gospel is God has done good things. Put your faith and trust in him and then be converted. See, but our understanding is so cloudy, we put so much emphasis on the things that you're supposed to do or not supposed to do. We fail to put the emphasis on the choice that we make in our heart to put our faith in the living God. When they asked Peter, what must we do? He didn't say, well, uh, you know, make a list of things of kindness you can do for people. He said, turn from your sin, repent, believe the gospel. You see, a disciple is going to seek to know more about Jesus' teaching. They're they're going to believe the gospel. They're going to learn. They're going to say, what do I have to do? What must I do? If I want to follow Jesus' teaching, what is it? How am I to find out? I want to know more. I'm not going to be satisfied with just the, the baseline idea of who God is. I want to know exactly what his teaching is. You know how it is when you're trying to learn something from somebody. You, you, you figure it all out. You, you read books. You watch videos. I mean, I've gone through that in my life, you know, trying to, trying to learn how to be a better musician growing up. I, I used to do nothing but study people who were better than me so I could try to become like them. I didn't want to just learn the basics. I wanted to know more. The same is true for, for our following Christ. I'm always wanting to seek to know more about Jesus' teaching. Why? So that I can obey Jesus. You see, a disciple obeys Jesus. And if in our lives we have nothing that, that resembles obedience to Christ, except for the golden rule, which we all want to do that, then, then I would suggest either our conversion never happened or, or, or we don't understand it. When you look at the scriptures, when you look at the teaching of Christ, and you see what Jesus commands, what is your response to that? Is it to submit and humble yourself before God? Or is it to to compare yourself to other people and say, well, I'm not as bad as they are? Or to ignore it and say, well, I don't really believe that or want to do anything? That's not a disciple. A disciple obeys Jesus' teachings. Which is inexorably going to lead to this, repents of sin. Because I can tell you this, when I study Jesus' teachings, it doesn't take me long to see where I don't live up to him a lot. It doesn't take me long to see where I haven't loved my neighbor as myself or where I haven't forgiven those who've wronged me or I haven't confessed my sin to those who I've wronged or I haven't uh, turned the other cheek or I haven't humbled myself 
or I haven't given like I should give, or I haven't served like I should serve. There's not a lot of time that takes place from when I look at the scripture and Jesus teaching to where I go, wow, I'm not quite living that up. What do we do in those moments? We harden our hearts or do we repent of our sin? See, there's nowhere in the scripture where it says a disciple won't sin. It's more about what is our response to it. Do we just ignore it or brush it aside? Or do we say, God, forgive me. Help me to walk in righteousness. Cleanse me from all sin and help me to walk without that. See, that's the call of the gospel. A Christian, a disciple, turns from their sin and follows Jesus. And one of Jesus' disciples, John, wrote in 1 John, he said, look, God is faithful. If you confess your sin, he will forgive you. But I think sometimes, even those who call ourselves Christians, we never make it that far. We don't even do the confessing of sin because we'd rather not go there because it's offensive to us. A disciple is not offended by Jesus. Jesus said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Blessed is the one who, who hears my teaching and says, praise God for that. How can I bring that into my life? How can I submit my life to that? Not how can I say, oh, how dare you? You see, a disciple repents of sin. But also a disciple loves God and others above self. See, you've all met people who, who have, you know, wanted to do the whole disciple thing. But man, I tell you what, you'd never know it by looking at their face because they're always grouchy all the time, right? You ever meet grouchy Christians? Ah, I love Jesus, ah, you know. We shouldn't have that because we love God so much. And why do we love God so much? Because he's first loved us. God doesn't call you to do anything that he hasn't first done toward you. And he's loved you with an unfailing love that a self-sacrificing love can, can, can convert your heart. And he's called you to love him in return. And a disciple loves God. A disciple doesn't follow Jesus out of obligation or out of guilt or out of some sort of, you know, painful thing. A disciple follows Jesus because they love Jesus. A disciple looks at Jesus and says, that's my God, my Savior. I love him. And because of that, I love others. See, we're on this journey right now in, in the Healthy Church Initiative to try to figure all this out for our church. And I'm on the group, as a few of you others are too in here, that we're trying to take our church process, if this is our, proce- if this is our plan, a mission to make disciples, how are we supposed to do that, right? We need a plan. We need a process. Well, I'm about to drop it on you right now. You ready for it? Get the bishop on the phone. Get Jill Sanders out here. Get all the Methodists. We're going to fix this thing right now. You ready? 945 service. Didn't you see the 830 service? They walked out like this. Wow. <laughs> that easy? Doesn't have to be so complicated. How are we going to do this? How to make converts? First and foremost, we're going to preach the gospel. Ooh, I love that one, right? How many people want to preach the gospel up in here today? You know? You want to come up here and do that? You've got to be careful when you say that. Somebody probably will. I was that kid once. Preacher at camp did that one time, asked a dumb question and said, who wants to, and I did, of course. Total smart aleck, you, you wouldn't believe that. Um, look at this verse from Romans 14. I love, or Romans 10, verse 14 through 15. Paul says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Speaking of unbelievers. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Hey, 
we're going to make disciples, the first and foremost thing that we here at First United Methodists are going to do is we are going to preach the gospel from this pulpit and from whatever pulpits you have in your life. So you might not be a professional preacher. You might not come up here and do this for your job. But nevertheless, you, just like me, are called to preach the gospel. And, and don't give me this little softening of it by going, well, yes, I'll preach the gospel, but use words if necessary. I get that quote, but I hate it. Sorry. To those of you who have that cross stitch, I think Mike probably has that somewhere, right? Sorry, I'm in trouble now. No, I don't hate that quote, but what I hate is when people use that quote. Matter of fact, it's my favorite quote in the whole world. Um, <laughs> what, what I hate is when people take that quote and use it as a cop-out to telling people about Jesus, Right? If you say, well, I don't have to tell my friends or my family or my neighbors or my coworkers or even strangers about who Jesus is because I can just be nice, then you've missed the point. And I think that's a lie from the devil. I think we need to use words to preach the gospel as most we can because the gospel is the, is the message of who Jesus is. And you can't tell someone who Jesus is by just simply being nice to him. That will enhance that message. That will give it validity and force but you have to tell people who he is. How will they believe? Think about the people in your life. How will they believe unless someone tells them? How will they do it? See, the message of the gospel needs to be preached. So we're going to do that. We're also going to model the love of Christ. We're going to model the love of Christ. Now here's where we get to be nice. We all love this part, right? We as the church, the gathering of God's people, need to love one another and love this world the way God has. We can't preach the gospel and be jerks at the same time. Okay, so it's all right. Because there's some people that love that. They love, oh, I'm going to preach. Don't ask me to, like, you know, serve somebody or, you know, take care of somebody or give to somebody. But just let me get up and preach. I'll, I'll pound this thing all day long. But don't ask me to actually do anything about it or inconvenience myself, Right? See, that's just as harmful. I probably hate that even more. See, if you're going to preach the gospel, your life has to back it up with the way that you live. Your life has to model the love of Christ. Not the condemnation and not the judgment and all this kind of stuff, but the love of Christ. That's what Jesus said. He said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, the love that we have for one another here in this body needs to be so explosive and so demonstrated that when a, that when a, a, a non-believer comes into the, to the, to the gathering of saints, I almost called it the church, ga- gathering of saints, they are blown away by the way that we all treat each other and, of course, the way we treat them and then, of course, the way we treat our world. You've got to model that love. See, it's not enough to know the right stuff. It has to change your life. It has to motivate you into a new way of living. They say, wow, well, it's not very practical, right? Because here's the thing. I can't tell you what that looks like for you. I can't tell you to whom you're supposed to preach or how you're supposed to do it, to whom you're supposed to love or how you're supposed to do it exactly. That's between you and God. So the third thing is you need to be led by the Holy Spirit. You need to let God's Holy Spirit work through you. So that way you can experience what it's like to, to feel the, the, the movement of God and you go speak to that person or, or do this or, or let this part of your life be made transparent to someone or whatever. That's the work of God in your life. It's active. It's, a, it's not a church program. It's, it's what happens when disciples follow God who've been converted and love him with all their hearts and want to tell people. 
So underneath the, three, the, the heading, we're going to do those things. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to model the love of Christ. And we together are going to be led by the Holy Spirit. How that fleshes out here, boy, we get to find out. It's going to be pretty exciting, I think. I think there are fewer things in life that could be more exciting than seeing a local assembly of believers figure out how that works and then actually going and doing it. And that's exactly what we're going to do, praise God. But in order for all that to take place for you personally, let me just ask you this question. Have you been converted? Are you a disciple according to what the scripture says? If you've been sitting in church for 30 years, it doesn't necessarily mean you've been converted. It doesn't necessarily mean that you are a disciple. I walked with you through what, these look, what, what, the, what the disciple looks like today, and I'm just going to ask, do you need conversion? Do you need to be converted? Here's the deal. I need to, to be converted. Not in the initial sense, but in the continuing sense. But I, I would suggest there may be some in here in this room today that have never been converted in the first place. And I'm going to ask you today if you'd be willing to do so. If you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would be willing to see that transformation take place for you to step from darkness to light. If you've never done that before, then guess what? Today is your day. If you've never done that before, if you've gone to a class, if you've been baptized, if you've gone through all that stuff, if you've been here for 40 years, you've served on every committee, you've done all this stuff, you're a lifelong member, but never in the, in the truest part of your heart have you ever said, yes, Jesus, I want you to transform me. I'm tired of trying to save myself by my morality or by my righteousness or by my knowledge. God, I need a miracle in my life for you to do a work in my heart. I need to be converted, not just educated. If that's you today, then this is your moment. I'm going to ask you all in this room right now, stand to your feet. And I'm going to pray. If you're able to stand. If you're not able to stand, don't don't worry about it. I want everybody to bow their heads right now and close your eyes. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And, And if you're a lifelong disciple of Jesus Christ and you know it, then will you just pray for those around you right now and and continue to ask God's conversion in your heart to grow more in grace? But if you're a person here today who said, I've never had that experience, I've never truly done that, then this prayer is a prayer that you can say and, and mean from your heart to make that so. So every person in this room right now focused on God, every heart bow before the Lord, say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner, and I believe that you died on a cross for me. I believe that you are the son of the living God. Come to this earth to save sinners. I need a miracle. I need to be converted. I need my heart transformed. Forgive my sin. Come into my life and be my savior. Make me new. Make it real for me. Transform my heart today. Now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, this isn't going to be some weird thing, but I think it's important for a person that does that to make some sort of public stand or some sort of physical recognition. So I'm just going to ask right now, if, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if this is the time in your life when you want this to be real, then will you just slip your hand up right now in this room? Just put your hand up right now and say, Jesus, this is for me. This is real. This is my heart, God. I want to be converted. I don't want to play a religious game anymore. I want to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Amen. You can put your hands down now. Praise God. In Jesus' name, amen. Now all of us, listen to me, all of us are gonna walk through this process together in the coming weeks of how we make these disciples and how we move into this. And as we move into our prescriptions and our processes, I'm gonna encourage every single one of you, no matter where you are in this place, to jump in with everything that you got. Because the mission that God has called us to demands the very best of all of us, and he's given us his best. We're to be converted by the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated.